that's crawling across my script. <laughs> Be nice to God's creation. I came across an interesting article this week called Look What We've Done to Our Songs. Uh, they dropped the ma off the end, but I um, hope I haven't given you an earworm there. But it was talking about how few of the hymns and songs that we sing in our worship enable us to express the emotions that we are feeling in this year of COVID-19 pandemic with its effects on individuals and families, economies, whole countries, indeed our whole world. And then in this very same week when we commemorate the end of World War II, the 75th anniversary of the dropping of those nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, we have that terrible explosive accident in Beirut causing huge damage on a city already struggling with COVID, uh, a crippled economy and a large population of refugees from neighbouring Syria residing there as well. That hospitality comes at a cost. I want to come back to our worship a little later on, but I want to reflect on our two Bible readings today that both convey huge highs and lows of emotion. And I'm glad that those stories are both there in the scriptures, for they show that how we feel matters to God, and that before God is a safe place to express the emotions that grip us. Our reading from 1 Kings finds us right in the midst of the saga of the great prophet Elijah, who has just achieved on Mount Carmel a great victory for God over the prophets of the rival Canaanite god Baal. I still recall bringing back from uh, Mount Carmel for my young nephew Elijah, I think he was about eight or nine at the time, a little statuette of Elijah, about that big, with his sword raised in warrior stance. And uh, it only cost a dollar, I think. And it was rather gruesome, but at the age of eight or nine, he thought it was just wonderful that uh, that was Elijah. So the prophet Elijah had triumphed, and you'd think that he would be on top of the world. But then he hears that the wicked queen Jezebel is after his scalp, and he runs for his life. Twice angels minister to him as he becomes more and more physically and mentally exhausted. He is now in deep depression and wants nothing more than to die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. He finally stops and hides out in a cave on Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Finally, he hears God speak and say, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah's quick to defend himself. Well, I've been very zealous for you, God, but your people have all turned against you. I'm the only one left, and they're after me. Hear all those eyes and me's. God then decides to reveal God's presence to Elijah, but interestingly, not in the mighty wind, not in the earthquake, not in fire, all symbols that God has used before to manifest divine power and glory. No, rather, God comes to Elijah in a way perhaps he can cope with in all his exhaustion, a sound of sheer silence. 
Just what does that mean? Some have said that in that silence, God honours Elijah. God doesn't overwhelm Elijah with a show of great power or majesty. Rather, a bit like Job's friends who first sat on the ground with Job in silence for seven days when he was in mourning. God keeps company with Elijah. Perhaps we can learn from that. It is a great gift to allow the world to remain broken, to sit speechless with another in their loss and misery, to offer no quick solutions, to express only sorrow, using words only when necessary. That doesn't mean we shouldn't speak or act. We can and must. But first, perhaps we need to accept our own finitude. Recognise the limits, even, of language. God's silence also allows Elijah to get beyond all the noise and clamour of the world he's been part of, even the noise and clamour of the victory and the triumph that he's won, to actually take stock, to zero down, to search his heart, and to allow his secret thoughts and feelings to bubble up to the surface in God's presence. You may have seen the lovely quote that uh, Mark found this week from former Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. From time to time, we need to step back from the noise and hubbub of the social world and create in our hearts the stillness of the desert, where within the silence, we can hear the kol demama dakar, the still, small voice of God, telling us we are loved, we are heard, we are embraced by God's everlasting arms, and we are not alone. God then acts in a very practical way to convince Elijah that he is not alone, he's not the only one, by telling him to go and appoint Elisha, as a prophet alongside him. So Elijah will no longer be the warrior prophet. He is now going to be the one called to mentor and to raise up his successor. And so he will find that he has a colleague and a friend alongside him. He is not alone. Elijah's journey from bravado to deep depression then finds a New Testament parallel in our account of Peter trying to emulate Jesus in walking on water. Here it is Jesus who has seemingly won the triumph. Last week, as we heard, that stunning miracle of feeding the 5,000. Jesus and the disciples must have been on a high. And yet Jesus goes off by himself to pray to find his equilibrium in the presence of his father. While the disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee, out in the boat, having a hard time of it against the wind. And night is drawing on. It's dark. It's getting into those wee small hours of the night, the time when everything looks at its worst. You start imagining all sorts of disasters and things that go bump in the night. 
And so it is as Jesus walks towards them on the water. All they can think of is it's a ghost, phantasmus, as the Greek says. These brave fishermen are terrified. But Jesus' words to them are strong and clear. Take heart. It is I, literally I am, the name of Yahweh for those with ears to hear. Do not be afraid. It's now Peter who displays that typical bravado and impetuousness we love about him. Well, Lord, if it is you, prove it. Call to me to come out to you on the water. Come, says Jesus. And Peter does, and it all goes quite well until his focus shifts back onto that strong wind and he takes fright and begins to sink. Lord, save me. And Jesus does immediately, reaches out his hand, rescues him. I love the way Jesus doesn't shame Peter, doesn't take the mickey out of him, doesn't belittle him. Yes, perhaps he chides him gently, I think. Oh, you of little faith, it's literally a name, little faith. Why did you doubt? But it's just the same words as Jesus had said to all the disciples when Jesus had calmed that storm on the lake that other time. Doubt here too is not just talking about Peter's mental state, what he was thinking in his head, but rather it's that broader sense of Peter's whole being, his confusion, his mood, his uncertainty, his paralysis that he can't act or move. He's not able to commit himself to take any action at all. He's completely relying on Jesus. He wasn't quite ready yet to wholesale commit his life into Jesus' hands. And yet Jesus rescues him as he is, doubts and all. Yet we hear this is another step of faith for the disciples. They worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Another step on the journey. I want to come back now to just some closing thoughts about our worship and that article I mentioned that asked why we have so many songs of triumph and praise, but so few which allow us to express what we feel about the suffering of the world in 2020, about COVID-19 and its effects, about Hiroshima, about Beirut, about our own personal griefs and sorrows. And yet about one third of the Psalms in the Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms, are Psalms of lament. Some say about 40%. Telling God how it is with brutal honesty and expression of emotion, anger even, doubt, grief. The psalm was good, but we did have a psalm this morning, but the verses we chose were actually a part of praise. Other parts of that psalm express other things. But so often, and rightly so in our worship, we like to sing songs of praise. But Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann challenges us and says, the dearth of lament in our communal worship is a symptom of just how enthralled the church is to Western culture's triumphalist narratives of health and wealth. We're quicker to declare final victory and imminent triumph 
than to mourn present reality. Brueggemann talks about the Psalms of Lament and he says this, the prayer life of the psalmist is filled with anger and rawness. There's no attempt to be polite or docile. The psalmist's prayer practices no cover-up. Real prayer is being open about the negatives and yielding them to God. And they are never yielded unless they be fully expressed. I guess the challenge for us is that often such language is a bit uncomfortable. It's honest but blunt. And we're used to our language of worship being more nuanced, more indirect. You may remember some of the songs written in the 60s, which uh, I can remember, The God of Concrete, Steel and Atom. There was an attempt to uh, bring our world into, um, into the hymn book. And we look at some of those now and we sort of think, oh my goodness, um, they date, they date very quickly. And yet, when perhaps now sometimes we sing songs written by uh, writers in our own country, and, and certainly in our offertory hymn today, uh, the words of Shirley Murray's hymn, I love uh, the way she says, um, can't remember it exactly, but we sing in praise, but we cry in grief. And she acknowledges all those emotions. And too, sometimes we sing songs that come from the Iona community in Scotland, Again, very often they're quite gritty, and perhaps they are just of the time, but perhaps there is a place for more of those songs that mean we don't have to pretend uh, when we sing and when we come to church. We bring all that we are. Sometimes we need to know, don't we, that God is with us in our sorrows and in our doubts and griefs and our tragedies and losses. Sometimes we express that in our worship or our singing. Sometimes I think the most powerful way to express it is in our silence. Perhaps it is when we come in and light a candle and pause in silence. That is where we may hear Amidst the silence, even today, the still, small voice of God. Amen.